Okay, so I want to welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, this is Reverend Anna Jones, and you're attending a uh, teleconference either live or listening to the recording for um, uh, the teleconference that we call Mary Magdalene, the Great Goddess, and the Return of the Sacred Feminine. And um, in this audio in this call um, we're going to be talking about and I'm going to be the primary one uh, leading everything tonight um, because my husband Philip who has been leading these teleconference series with me uh, will be calling in and joining us late um, but hopefully he will be calling in here soon and being able to participate with us on this so I'm going to do my best to um, there are you there yep Philip, okay, good, okay, good, welcome. Okay, so um, the um, I just announced the title, the Mary Magdalene, the Great Goddess, and the Return of the Sacred Feminine, and that in this call we were going to um, explore the unique interconnection between these three subjects, and most importantly, um, why it's important in our modern day lives for our personal growth and our personal healing. And um, I have been, I'm an interfaith minister, I've been on a healing path, a healing journey for um, a very long time. Uh, actually, I consider my healing journey to be something that has been um, a, a lifetime journey, and same thing with my spiritual path and my spiritual journey. And um, there have been many twists and many turns and many facets of it uh, along the way. Um, I began doing laying on of hands healing and uh, at a very young age, and that was uh, a major part, a major turning point in my life. Um, and there's just been many other unfoldments and things that have uh, developed that have been major turning points in my life. And one of those major turning points in my healing path and on my spiritual journey has been through realizing that there is um, something that all of us actually need to um, be healing, that the farther I've gone into my personal healing journey, um, the deeper that's taken me into a realization that there's uh, the personal things that need to be healed, and then there's kind of the collective things that need to be healed, the things that I'm carrying inside of myself that um, are more like collective wounds. And I began to identify through my healing journey, my spiritual Spiritual path uh, and all that this that's been included in that, and over the year, many years now that I've been unfolding this, I began to identify what I call a sacred wound, a sacred wound that we all carry, and um, that's the reason why um, we need to discuss this subject today. Um, and I'm going to explain that to you, uh, the reason for these three things and combining these things, three things together. The main thing that in interconnects Mary Magdalene, the Divine Feminine, and the Great Goddess together. Um, in my presentation uh, and how I like to speak of this, and I've been traveling around speaking about this for uh, some time now, and in fact I'm on tour right now and just got finished speaking about this up in Baltimore, Maryland at a festival, a out, big outdoor festival called Karma Fest. The main thing that interconnects them, although there's many, many things that we could talk about and discuss and we could spend tons of time on talking about them individually as well as uh, commonalities that they all share. But in my mind and in my presentation, uh, as far as why it's important in our modern-day lives, uh, is this sacred wound. And so let me describe a little bit more about what the sacred wound is that I've come to realize, identify in myself, identify in many other people that I've come to work with as a healer and spiritual teacher and that I ultimately have seen uh, 
and find in pretty much everybody, male, female, young, old, um, I believe that this sacred wound exists within us collectively. And uh, the sacred wound can basically be um, described uh, quite simply by a couple of quotes that I like to quote, uh, where it originated from and um, what, what exactly it is. Uh, and the first quote that I like to quote is a quote by um, Sinead O'Connor. It actually comes from one line in a sentence of her, um, her song, one of her songs from many years ago, actually. And that statement is simply, um, quote, we used to worship God as a mother. Now look at what we're doing to each other um, unquote so we used to worship God as a mother now look at what we're doing to each other um, indicating that there once was a time in which we saw the world very differently we saw the divine very differently we saw each other very differently we treated the world the earth um, the our place within the cosmos uh, we treated each other very very differently uh, and again, that quote is, we used to worship God as a mother. Now look at what we're doing to each other. And then the other quote that I like to quote um, is a quote from Margaret Starbird. Um, she is an uh, author that, uh, if you have not come across her books, she's written many things regarding the divine feminine, especially Mary Magdalene um, and connecting Mary Magdalene and the divine feminine together. And um, that quote from Margaret Starbird that I wanted to share with everybody is, it is the loss of the sacred feminine counterpart of God that causes the wound that never heals, quote unquote. So Margaret Starbird, it is the loss of the feminine counterpart of God that causes the wound that never heals. So these, I came across these quotes um, uh, as I was going through the realizations myself, um, and again, in my personal healing journey, it's like I just got to the point where uh, it just became revealed to me that uh, this wound exists in me, it exists in other people, and there's only so much progress that we can make uh, on our personal journey and in our collective journey with healing the planet, uh, healing uh, our relationships with each other, uh, just healing so much of the dysfunction and unless we address um, this sacred wound. So I've been looking at it uh, from many different angles, coming to more and more realizations about it. Um, I continue to come to realizations about it, even as I now begin to teach about it and um, talk about it uh, more widely. Uh, and as I've been looking at it, um, I've been exploring different things, uh, including uh, ancient concepts of the divine feminine uh, from different traditions of the world, and um, looking at the divine feminine as a um, principle, an archetype, and a presence, and that in order to restore the divine feminine um, and heal this wound that doesn't heal, as Margaret Starbird calls it, or what I call the, the sacred wound, um, that we actually need to reintegrate um, the presence of the divine feminine in our lives uh, and the principle of the divine feminine as well as the archetype of the divine feminine. So there's these three things that I've identified, uh, the presence, the principle, and the archetype. Um, so 
let me just begin. We'll, I'll get to Mary Magdalene eventually and how she connects to all of this, um, where where her connection is. But let me begin with um, the principle uh, and the archetype of the divine feminine um, and what those are, the principle, the archetype of the goddess, the principle, the archetype of the divine feminine. Um, so when you're working with the principle of the divine feminine or the sacred feminine, these are the energies. The principles are the qualities. So the principal qualities or energies, you might call it, um, of, the, of the feminine energy. And one of the easiest ways that I can identify that to you is in um, Chinese terminology, uh, in Chinese medicine, they identify that there's two primary energies at work and at flow uh, within us, uh, the yin and the yang. Uh, the yang being the masculine energy and the yin being the feminine energy. So we're talking about the principle of the great goddess and the principle of the um, sacred feminine. We need to look at, well, what are the qualities, what are the energies of the feminine energy and um, what are the yin energies? Because these are the things that need to be um, returned in our world right now in order to bring about the, the healing of the sacred wound um, and the yin energies are acceptance, allowing, so allowance, um, surrender, receiving, or receptivity. They're, they're, there's literally a very long list of them. Um, intuition, uh, imagination, um, and there's, they're, they're Create, they're both creative forces. The yin energy and the yang energy are both creative energies. They're both creative energies and creative forces, but they create differently. And the yin energy is a powerful creative energy, a powerful creative force that creates in this intuitive, imaginative, spontaneous, um, receptive, allowing uh, state and uh, a way. And it's a totally different way of doing things that's equally important and that is uh, equally um, um, valid as to the the masculine way of creating and the yang forms of the creation energies and all of the things that the yang energy represents, which I'm not going to be speaking about here today because there's a lot of things that I want to cover. Uh, and uh, there's there's two parts to all of these teleconferences. Uh, the first part is the, the teaching on the subject and the theme that we announce. Um, and the second is that because these are a series in our Mystical France series, um, there's a whole second part of the teleconference that um, we talk about and we describe and go over um, just things that we're going to be doing and places that we're going to be visiting and just any information that we feel like we want to share to you uh, about the upcoming um, Mystical France retreats that we are hosting in the fall of this year, September and early October of 2014. So um, because of that, I'm not going to have time to go into talking much about the, the yang energies. I feel like we've been um, under the influence of them very strongly and powerfully. They're what we're most familiar with. Um, even in the majority of women these days, um, a lot of women are uh, very strong in their yang energy and using their yang energy to create and to manifest things in their life and to uh, get things done and do, do things uh, actively 
actively and outwardly in the world. And we're needing to learn how to use the feminine principle, which is the feminine energies, the yin energies, in order to uh, restore the balance on earth, restore the balance in humanity, and restore the balance within ourselves. Um, And it's just a totally different, again, way of doing things. So there's the principle or the yin energies, the energies of the sacred feminine and the ways that that energy creates that is one way of relating to the great goddess and one way of relating to the sacred feminine energy and returning that and restoring that in our lives. And then there's the archetype. Um, the archetype uh, is, is revealed to us, the archetype of the divine feminine is revealed to us through a lot of our stories, um, through fairy tales. Um, in fact, the, uh, the, the, the goddess and the divine feminine has uh, managed to survive uh, it through times where um, you know, the, the, the oppression and the suppression and the repression of the feminine has been very great and very strong, but managed to survive some of these stories stories through um, the telling of stories and through the telling of myths and through the telling of fairy tales. And oftentimes I like to say that the goddess lives and she lives and has always lived uh, within the fairy tales. Um, and so there's many fairy tales that exist that um, kind of talk about the, the feminine energy and the qualities and the, the, the principle and the presence of the feminine energy and how um, you know, the, the, the restoration, uh, the bringing back of the feminine energy uh, restores and renews things um, and there's several uh, fairy tales for example Cinderella embodies the belief that when the bride is found and restored to the prince the realm will be healed um, and this motif plays out over and over in many fairy tales as the essential theme and is the um, essential theme in even the Grail Quest stories of um, you know Philip can actually refer to more of that uh, we in fact we had a whole teleconference uh, in our Mystical France series that we did recently on the Magdalene, the Grail and You, where we made the connection, the direct connection between Mary Magdalene, the Divine Feminine, and the Holy Grail, um, partially through uh, the connection between the Grail stories. But other variations um, of the stories exist. There are variations in the fairy tales of uh, in Sleeping Beauty and so on, where the overall moral and message of the story is that wholeness is restored through the restoration of the sacred feminine um, back into her respected and rightful role. Um, So again, the archetype of the sacred feminine uh, lives and survives and even thrives in these stories, and they resonate with us on such a deep level. If you've ever wondered... Why do these fairy tales <laughs> resonate uh, with us on such a deep, deep level? Well, this is partially the reason why, because we all do carry a sacred wound that was created by the suppression, oppression, and repression. I use all three of those words, the suppression, oppression, and repression of the sacred feminine, of the divine feminine, and, and um, these fairy tales have been a way in which uh, that has been kept alive, that, that uh, principle and archetype of the divine feminine 
has been kept alive, and so they resonate with us for that reason. And also they resonate with us because a lot of these fairy tales tell of the restoration that um, takes place through the return and the reintegration and the return of the rightful place um, back into our lives. So uh, it speaks to us on a very deep level, which is what archetypes do, uh, by the way. They, um, uh, I feel like they speak to us beyond the conscious mind. They speak to us on the level of the soul, uh, which is the power of myth, even. It speaks to us deep within our unconscious. Uh, and the power of symbolism and art. And so another way that the archetype of the divine feminine um, is and and uh, exists and is uh, able to we're able to connect with uh, is through not just the stories and not just the myths and the fairy tales but also also through art and symbolism so the the archetype of the divine feminine exists in art and symbolism as well um, and so there's been much uh, a great deal of art throughout the ages um, that um, contains that uh, symbolism. In fact, I want to pull up here. Uh, I'm going to pause for a moment and give Philip a chance to say anything. I'm going to get into talking about the presence because I've been talking about the principle and the archetype of the sacred feminine. I'm going to start talking about the presence. Um, but I'm going to give him a chance to uh, say anything that he would like to say in regards to whatever I've just been speaking about. And I'm going to try and pull up a, um, some notes that I had a, a few minutes ago about um, some artwork that was found from 23,000 BC uh, regarding the great goddess. So, Philip, while I look that up, can you, um, would you like to say something or share something or add something? Sure, yeah. So, um, we haven't uh, talked about our trip yet. We're going to talk about that in the second part, or Anna's going to be talking about that. But when we went to Europe uh, back a couple of years ago in France and we were getting to do research into um, some of the things that were happening back in the 12th century in France, we began to see some reflections from there to what's going on now. And um, just wanted to talk about that a little bit. There were, you know, as Anna was saying, there's these great principles of the masculine and the feminine, the yin and the yang, when they're out of balance, it causes a problem. It's just common sense. Anytime you have, you know, if you have daylight 20 hours and, and night hour, nighttime 4 hours or vice versa, of course that happens sometimes up in near the North Pole, but it's, it's difficult because balance between two complementary principles, whatever they may be, is going to give the the greatest chance for harmony and, and ultimately the greatest chance for for uh, creativity. So back uh, from the time when Rome fell in the fifth century up until really the High Middle Ages, which was the twelfth century, the uh, role of women was in decline. Um, we know that um, back back when you know, whenever there's a decline of power, when the Roman Empire fell, then all of the power over the next couple of centuries went to the monasteries. And, of course, the monasteries were, were run by the celibate men. And eventually, because that was the only civilization for hundreds of years, eventually the Catholic Church became very powerful. And for one reason or another, all of their authority was vested in, in men. 
And over time, the role of women became more and more and more dispossessed. But around southern France and northern Spain and really all around the Mediterranean Sea area, including parts of Italy, France, and Spain, there had been a very, very strong uh, connection to the goddess historically, as Anna pointed out, going back to thousands and thousands of years, and she's going to touch on that a little bit. And when there's a period of time when the established order is challenged because it needs to be challenged and it's out of balance, that happened in the 12th century. It had gotten so out of control that the Catholic Church really became very corrupt. Um, people just weren't seeing the 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 depth of spirituality in it that that they that should have been there, and so there was there were movements that started at that time, including the Cathars and and some other movements challenging the authority of the Catholic Church. And in those movements, because they were more open-minded, uh, women held a more prominent role. So that there were a couple of things that happened. Um, in the area of southern France, especially one was the movement of the troubadours and courtly love, where love itself began to be seen in a different light, and not just, you know, you're, you know, you're my wife by force or by choice or by my parents' choice, and here's what your role is going to be, but really just exalting love, and of course, love to be really loved has to be two equal partners. It can't be slavery. It can't be one dominating the other. And so it was kind of a secular movement within the courts of Europe, and also it was a spiritual movement. The other thing that happened in southern France was the Kabbalah, which is a mystical movement within Judaism, became prominent. And in northern Spain, the mystical uh, movements of Islam became prominent. And if you really examine the history of religions, you'll see that whenever there's a strong period of mysticism. And by mysticism, I don't mean some airy-fairy thing. I'm talking about when people individually go deep into spirituality and when something, when one's path becomes more deeply spiritual than religion per se, that generally opens things up to a broader uh, access to spirituality where the church or the institution or the mosque or the temple or whatever, the synagogue, is not controlling everything. It's uh, kind of an an uplifting and outpouring of spirit. So these things were happening in northern Spain and, and southern France. And so at that time, women really had much more opportunity to, uh, other than just being either a nun or a wife, which were the, were the only two options, there was a third thing that began to happen. There were lay movements that started up called the Begins, B-E-G-U-I-N-E, uh, was one of them in which women, they were business people, they had home life, uh, some of them did, but they also had a deep form of spirituality, and this began to become a third option for women where it wasn't an all or nothing, either you're celibate living in a, nun, a nunnery somewhere or you're, you have your traditional uh, role as a wife and, and underling to the husband type of thing. And so that was a very powerful movement that arose right after the Cathars in the 13th century. And over time, of course, the church felt that that was, um, that was too, too powerful and too much of a challenge, and, and it began to go 
out. But in our times, I think that the opportunities are arising again with with the openness, with the fact that organized religion is now being challenged in so many ways. Not that it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but there are people who want to and need to and are more inspired to touch into that deeper spirituality. And whenever that's happening, whenever that spirit of, of, of love and openness is happening, uh, historically, you find the role of women, especially in spirituality, becomes more prominent. Mm-hmm. Well, the, thank you for sharing some of that. Um, you're definitely sharing about some uh, some of the groups uh, and certain time periods uh, in which they were trying to um, restore the sacred feminine. They were trying to keep the feminine energy alive, maybe return that, restore that. Uh, and unfortunately, the um, like you said, they 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 were, they were having some great success, and there were some very strong movements during those times, um, but that became very suppressed and oppressed uh, during those times as well. So, um, you know, I think it is in our modern day times that this this healing that uh, they saw, you know, the groups that you're talking about, Philip, uh, the groups that were in those regions and stuff back in the 12th century and the high Middle Ages that they saw and that they were, they were trying to advance, you know, they were trying to right. advance forward. They saw just how out of balance things had become and, you know, how, to, how out of balance the, the, the world and, and, and especially within Christianity and the movement of Christianity, how just out of balance and the, the, the absence and the suppression of the divine feminine had uh, become so widespread, and so they were trying to restore it. Um, and they inspired uh, a lot of people, and, and I think as a result, um, you know, a lot of shift and a lot of change happened uh, that needed to happen that would that's led us to this day. But I really believe yep. that the, right. the true healing um, and the restoration is now more possible than ever. Ever. And perhaps yeah. it's it's our time and it's an our day um, that the the restoring of the sacred feminine is really going to be happening um, in women and in men, by the way. It's not just a sacred wound that exists in women, um, although, uh, like you're saying, there's been, you know, women who've been trying to, you know, kind of stand up and lead the way and, and, and be, you know, leaders in this message. And the Begawans, like you're talking about, they were uh, definitely an inspiration for us. Um, but, you know, the, the, the suppression and oppression and repression of the divine feminine goes way back um, and that's it had already been going on a long time by the time you know those high middle ages and those things happened um, and those things I think just uh, brought it to the forefront again and like and like we've talked about when we talk about the whole timeline of everything and we look at the timeline of how far back the suppression and repression of the great goddess and the, the sacred feminine goes it goes back thousands of, of, of years you know the, the turning point that when I give the presentation the full presentation on the sacred wound that I give, um, I always take it back to like around 3000 BC when the energy started shifting and the feminine energy started waning and the masculine energy started waxing. It started like that, uh, like a tide shifting, you know, the, the energy just started, the masculine energy just started getting stronger and stronger because prior to that time period, prior to around 3000 BC, um, most of the ancient peoples on the planet and the spiritual traditions on the planet planet either worshiped God as a mother um, like I was saying earlier or mother and father like masculine and feminine 
um, going way back, I mean, the 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 early one of the earliest that we've ever found that we've ever come across, and maybe there's earlier that other people have come across, but uh, this one pretty much blew my mind when we were um, doing some research. Um, we found that uh, there was an art, so I, so I was telling everybody that I was going to uh, look for some information for some uh, notes that I had here on a uh, on some artwork um, that uh, again the goddess and, and the divine feminine has lived throughout all this time in the stories and uh, in the fairy tales, but also in the artwork. Well, this art, um, this is a, this is a, uh, I believe it's a stone, probably a stone sculpture from the way that it sounds, from the information that we discovered. We, we still need to figure out more and find out more about it, um, is a, um, um, a representation of the goddess, of the great goddess, found in an entrance to an Ice Age cave in the central region of France, one of the oldest ones in existence, and she's believed to have been crafted in 23,000 B.C. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty uh, mind-boggling number, 23,000 B.C., uh, and um, is thought of as either the oldest representation or one of the first representations of the Earth Mother, and um, especially of the Earth Mother as a, uh, a connected as a lunar deity. So the Earth Mother um, and as Earth Mother being represented as a lunar deity. And um, what we've found and learned about her is that she holds in her right hand a bison horn uh, shaped like a crescent moon, and that horn is then divided uh, with thirteen marks, probably representing uh, the thirteen moons in a lunar calendar year so here here's how far back the great goddess and the divine feminine actually goes um, you know when you go that far back uh, there's a lot of indication again that uh, every um, culture saw the, uh, the, the the presence of the divine the presence of the sacred as either entirely feminine like I said earlier or feminine and masculine uh, no evidence to indicate that the ancient peoples uh, saw that uh, divine presence and that sacred aspect of God is masculine only. Like I said, that turning point really began around 3000 um, BC as, according to my research, the research that I've done. Maybe it was a little sooner, maybe it was a little later, but that's kind of what I uh, point it to. And so this is 23,000 BC, this one. This is a pretty old representation of the great goddess here and artwork. And, and, and then there's a lot of other artwork. I mean, there's artwork all throughout the ancient world um, that has survived and from the ancient world that has survived that indicates to us, right, uh, again, either masculine and feminine or uh, feminine only. Uh, many, many major, amazing uh, pieces of artwork of the great goddess uh, that exists and is a way that we can connect and that we can learn and, and, and make a connection. And I encourage people uh, listening to this that um, if you've been drawn to this, there is some healing of that sacred wound um, going on in your life and uh, it, it, like I said it's happening for all of us uh, some more than others uh, some of us are more to play a role and maybe even helping to facilitate that even in other people's lives and we can connect um, the, the key to the healing to the restoration and the return of the divine feminine in our modern day um, and in our modern lives is to reconnect um, just make that reconnect 
reconnection. She returns through us reconnecting, um, and the Earth Mother, has, the Earth and the, the, the presence of the Earth, uh, and um, the energies of the Earth has long been considered by most traditions to be feminine, so make that connection to the Divine Mother of the Earth through connection with the Earth, and make that connection um, through the stories and through the myths and through the artwork um, and through you know learning about these energetic qualities the the yin energies and embracing them in our lives and then make that connection through the presence as well and I'm going to be talking about the presence of the divine feminine how we need to make that connection but before I do I want to just briefly um, talk about some of those older um, aspects of uh, either the great goddess or the masculine and feminine combined um, because of course we have uh, ancient Egypt which um, you know predates uh, 3000 BC and some think that actually the, the, the Sphinx actually might even be dated as far back as 9000 BC and some of those um, you know ancient uh, Egyptian uh, artwork and myths and stories we have the great goddess being represented as Isis, uh, so the great mother of the great goddess, and then the male counterpart of Osiris. And in um, the Hebrew tradition, in um, the Ju- Jewish tradition, uh, the, the, a lot of people don't realize this. Uh, the ancient Egyptians, um, not the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Jewish people, uh, they had uh, the, the name for their, um, the name for God that they originally were working with, uh, it was El and Asherah. Uh, so their original uh, names for God were El and Asherah, and they were, nev- they were never considered apart from each other. They were considered different from one another, but not separate from one another. Uh, different and not the same, but yet they were one with each other, El being the masculine form for God and Asherah being the feminine form for God. And then also um, in the Jewish tradition in Hebrew, there's also Sophia and so there's Asherah and there's Sophia that um, were the two aspects of the great goddess or the divine feminine present within that tradition that still is there Uh, it's just like Philip was saying um, they're kind of uh, these things have kind of lived and survived through some of the mystical uh, traditions and when you get into some of the mystical traditions this is also where some of the divine feminine still exists and the teachings of it and the understandings are still there and and um, the archetypes and the principle and the presence uh, can be connected with through some of the mystical teachings of some of these uh, great traditions. And, of course, uh, uh, Christianity, yes. Yeah, I just wanted to throw in one thing while you're talking about this. You know, it's, it's a fact, and the reason that the mystical traditions can reconnect is because that's a direct connection with the divine feminine What's, what's interesting about our time, and that's always happened, it just hasn't been, it's had to have been hidden in, in a lot of past history. What's happening in our history is because the institutions, the organized institutions of religions aren't as prominent as they once were, there's more freedom for people to uh, openly share things like archaeological discoveries and histories, some of which are recent discoveries and some of which have been around, but they kind of were hidden, so that uh, recently there was a BBC documentary on this topic, and it was said that the majority of biblical scholars throughout the world now accept it as compelling evidence 
said God once had a consort. Well, that's a pretty astounding statement. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I find it even a little bit hard to believe myself, but when you really look at the evidence from the archaeological records, from texts from that time, there's really strong evidence that the, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Jewish people and the Christian people, had a feminine uh, counterpart, and basically, as Anna was saying, that what, what some scholars call the divorce took place um, about uh, a little less than 1,000 B.C. So at, even the Nag Hammadi discoveries, the, the, the discoveries of uh, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene in the late 19th century, in our time, the freedom of expression, new discoveries, the ability to bring things out in the open, uh, which really wasn't available in the past because of the dominance of, of the church in some cases, and there are other reasons as well, now makes it, gives more credibility to this ancient, long, mystical tradition where people had that direct access to the feminine, and now there's some backup for it uh, for people who, you know, need to see proof, you might say. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, that's really powerful. I mean, we know from from just your background and everything that, um, you know, in Hinduism, for example, even in Buddhism, there's the masculine and then there's the feminine counterpart. Um, and in Absolutely. Hinduism, there's the masculine and there's the feminine counterpart, and that um, God is both masculine and feminine. Uh, Shiva, well, Shakti, Radha, Krishna, um, right. being just examples of some of the names of those um, those those energies uh, and those presences of the divine. And I, and I truly believe, and one of the reasons that those that survived in, in Hinduism and Buddhism is because they, those cultures didn't get as wrapped up in politics as, for example, Christianity did through the Roman Empire and so forth. But fortunately, now we're finding out in Christianity and Judaism, as well as Hinduism, as well as Buddhism, Islam, I'm not sure about that one, but, it, but at least four of the major five world religions more and more evidence is coming to the forefront that in their inception, in the very beginning, there was, the, or, or from the roots where they all came from, there was this very strong connection to God as masculine and feminine. Well, according to the Sufis, even in Islam, I mean, of course, the Sufis are true. the mystical um, group of is, uh, within Islam. Um, That's right. But uh, within Sufism, uh, there's uh, strongly the, the 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 energy and the presence and the concept and archetype okay. of the Shekinah. You know, the That's Shekinah right. is the sacred uh, divine feminine within Islam, and you know, they 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 are the mystical uh, group, but it's there, it's present. You know, it's um, it's 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 there as part of Sufism because it's there uh, in Islam, but it's more covered up in the mainstream, maybe orthodox aspect of of Islam than it is within the, the mystical branches. Again, which tends to be the the cases with um, kind of all the traditions, with the exception of um, Hinduism, which I think it kind of it, it, you don't have to be in the mystics, uh, you know, amongst the mystics to 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 get exposed to both the concept of the masculine and the feminine yeah, there. Very 
Um, but, you know, what a lot of people, so, yeah, like you're saying, like a lot of people don't think it's a part of Islam, but yet it is. The Shekinah is, is very much the feminine principle and the feminine, uh, you know, aspect of the divine uh, within Islam. And a lot of people don't think it's within Christianity either. And because the right. roots of Christianity are within Judaism, which is why it's called the Judeo-Christian tradition, um, then it definitely is through in Christianity through Judaism, and then we're going to talk about how it actually goes into Christianity through Mary Magdalene, which is where, where we're ultimately going to be going with this too. So, um, but let me just finish saying because I already mentioned El and Asherah um, being mm-hmm. kind of the oldest uh, feminine and masculine principles of the divine and names for the divine and um, you know the, the, just understandings of the divine. Uh, that, that that was in Judaism, but then there was Sophia, and Sophia is even mentioned um, within the uh, the Old Testament writings. Um, and the concept of Sophia um, has been championed as a key part of the Godhead by many within the Eastern Orthodox religious thinkers as well. Um, and there have been several uh, famous people within the Eastern Orthodox religious uh, groups who've uh, written about that. And um, there's a book called Sophia, the Wisdom of God, um, in which in many also ways. Sophia, remember Sophia Maria also, that book. Um, Sophia Maria, uh huh, mm-hmm. yep. That's a really good book. That's a really good book, yeah. But in the book, The Sophia, The Wisdom of God, um, it's, uh, there's like a a very strong, um, uh, you know, kind of teaching there about the um, apotheosis of uh, Sophia, like the the connection that Sophia is uh, God and is an aspect of God, the feminine aspect of God in concert with the masculine principle and as a Holy Spirit. so that is uh, very interesting when you get into the Eastern Orthodox uh, view of that. So it's present there. We've already talked about how um, you know ancient, way way back, um, the indigenous peoples of the planet, you know, either a great, the the goddess or the goddess and the and the masculine and the feminine, you know, combined. Um, and then we've we've talked about how it's there in Buddhism, it's there in Hinduism, um, it's there in um, you know, the mystical aspect of Islam is there in Judaism. Well, it's also there within Christianity. It's there through these Jewish connections, and um, it's also there through Mother Mary, uh, which is uh, actually one of the interesting um, turning points uh, that I like to point to as to when things started to uh, really turn and we started to... Um, see more of um, a renaissance type of thing start to happen was that we went through some very, very dark times and the, this, the sacred feminine was being oppressed and repressed uh, greatly. And then, like you're saying, in kind of in the high Middle Ages, there was uh, um, several movements, especially within these uh, European countries, within France and Spain and Italy, especially there was these um, these movements to try to restore the sacred feminine, uh, oftentimes led by groups who were... Um, either directly or indirectly uh, consider themselves associated with the teachings of Mary Magdalene, by the way, which we're going to get into talking about. Um, but then there was a great, um, because of the, the crusade against the, the, those movements um, and the, the, 
the all-out effort to completely <clears throat> squelch those movements, uh, which was quite successful. They weren't 100% successful, but they were quite successful, these uh, just horrific crusades that took place against the people that were um, kind of leading these movements and the groups that were leading these movements. Uh, we went into a very, very dark time where that suppression of the feminine became even stronger, um, and uh, it really g- got uh, so much worse because... Um, any, anyway, we can we can tell some of that story if we want to, if we want to get into that. But it just it just got so much worse. Uh, the Crusade, the Albigensian Crusade, and the Crusade that then expanded out into the Inquisition, that expanded from France and ultimately out to these other groups too. Um, we were talking. Um, what, what was the other groups that, uh, in addition to the Cathars, that were uh, influenced by the Crusades, that were trying to um, spread, you know, the, the 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 understandings of the sacred feminine and the rebalance of the sacred feminine through basically through the teachings that, um, again, were thought to have emerged through the the Christian branches that uh, were kind of evolving from Mary Magdalene's teachings, um, and uh, they were spreading all. Throughout, it was it the Huguenots. It was the Huguenots, right? Uh, that also were yeah. um, part of the Crusades and the the Inquisition that were uh, keeping you know some of that tradition alive. And um, yeah, the Huguenots was another was, a, was another group mm-hmm. that was yeah. um, kind of attacked separately from the Cathars. Right, and when this happened, um, not only was it like because prior to these events. Um, in, in the middle in the high middle ages in France and Italy and Spain prior to these events the divine feminine was being you know considered e- evil it was considered to be you know bad it, you know there was all of this you know movement against it and suppression of the feminine that was already taking place but you couldn't you weren't killed for it um, and this is one of the things that was a turning point then it's like you could be not only could you be killed but your family could be killed your 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 wife, your children, uh, anybody. It was men, women, children, uh, even even friends, even people who were like, you know, if you thought to even be associated with it, could be killed for uh, trying to forward these movements on, these movements to, uh, you know, keep the, the feminine teachings, again, which kind of fall in the line of Mary Magdalene, these movements. So... Um, it, it, it became extremely dangerous and it suppressed things even more. But then what happened is right around the time of the Renaissance, after going through a very dark, dark, dark period of things being suppressed and the fear being uh, greater than ever before, um, the appearance of Mary, Mother Mary began to appear within um, Christianity through the artwork of the Renaissance masters. And the artwork of the Renaissance masters basically started to bring back uh, the sacred feminine once again. And so a renaissance uh, started taking place. And, of course, many other things were part of that renaissance. But this was a, this was a major part of that, 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 that turning point within the renaissance. And, of course, Mother Mary is the, the aspect of the divine feminine or the sacred feminine that um, um, most within uh, Catholicism uh, connect with uh, as a presence of 
any kind of feminine, anything. Um, but really the Holy Spirit also is another aspect of the divine feminine that's present within Christianity. Uh, other forms of Christianity, Protestantism that then kind of uh, formed and split off that didn't even uh, include Mother Mary um, and, and, that, and, and that never really included that much, uh, included the sacred feminine through the form of the Holy Spirit, but mostly didn't admit that the Holy Spirit had any kind of connection to the feminine, right? Uh, only only thing that was even a clue was that the Holy Spirit uh, symbol, again, symbolism being one of the ways to connect to the archetype of the feminine, uh, was that of the dove. Um, and the dove is a very, very feminine symbol. And the word Holy Spirit, the, the word um, spiritus, um, in its original form uh, was feminine, actually. Spiritus uh, was uh, feminine until it got translated into Greek, and it wasn't until it got translated into the Greek language that it took on a masculine connotation to it. Um, so, you know, those who um, were within Catholicism, they had the aspect of Mary and the Holy Spirit, uh, and, but there still wasn't a, kind of a, a deep understanding of that, and I think more and more that understanding is starting to come about, um, and those who were in other aspects of Christianity that really didn't uh, connect much with Mother Mary um, had um, uh, the Holy Spirit, again, Spiritus being being feminine and the, the symbol of the dove. Uh, but again, most of this kind of being beneath the surface of the consciousness and being more in the symbolic rather than in the deeper understanding, which again, I think that's part of what's happening now, the return of the, the sacred feminine that's happening within our lifetimes and the healing of the sacred wound is, um, you know, the healing of it within Christianity I think is super important because of it being the largest religion in the world and it's still continuing to spread and there doesn't seem to be um, any uh, end in sight to it continuing to, to grow and grow and continuing to spread and nor should there be as long as it's uh, also brought into wholeness and part of the restoring of the sacred feminine within Christianity is Christians um, modern day uh, understanding what a lot of the mystics did understand and that is that the um, face of the feminine and the aspect of the feminine and the presence of the feminine is very important and not only was it being represented by the, is it represented in that tradition by the Holy Spirit, and not only is it represented in that tradition by Mother Mary, but there's this whole other um, myths, legends, stories, and, uh, and and belief out there that, in addition to the Holy Spirit and Mother Mary, that that um, archetype, presence, and principle of the divine feminine is has also been embodied within Mary Magdalene who is just now beginning to have her rightful place restored within Christianity, and there's still a long way to go with that. Um, Philip, did you have anything you wanted to add regarding what I just said? Um, yeah, I would just agree with you in terms of the Holy Spirit aspect. Um, a lot of people, um, I don't know if a lot of people, but some people had an understanding in those times in the high Middle Ages when the kind of the movement of love and, and restoring femininity was taking place, that there were three ages. There was the age of the father, which they took back to um, Israel, the age of the son, which, of course, when Jesus was there and his teachings. And then they were looking at the Middle Ages when 
the worship of uh, both Mary Magdalene and Mother Mary, the High Middle Ages, began to take place as the age of the Spirit. So I think if you look at Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as you said, they've each, according to that historical look, uh, had their time and the Spirit awakened in the High Middle Ages, and I think it's awakening again today. And in terms of Mary Magdalene, uh, yeah, exactly, as you were saying. She was, um, for people who really understood her, uh, again, the Orthodox Church had always kind of taken the stand that she was a prominent disciple of Jesus. And the Catholic Church, uh, Roman Catholic Church, had that as well, but in the 6th century, uh, one of the popes, or the pope, uh, at that time had, um, for I don't know for what purposes, that had given this teaching that uh, tied Mary Magdalene to the story of prostitute in the Bible, and from the 6th century all the way to the 20th century. That was kind of the outlook of the view of Mary Magdalene that was was held within the, uh, the Catholic Church, and, and a lot of the pictures, the statues throughout uh, history for about 1,400 years have portrayed her in that way. Finally, in the 20th century, after Vatican II, uh, in the 60s, the Catholic Church um, wasn't very a very public announcement or retraction, but they made a retraction that that's not true, that she was not a prostitute. She was actually a very prominent disciple of Jesus, the apostle to the apostles. And so, as you say, uh, who she is and what her role was is being restored in our own lifetimes. Yeah, and some of this is only understood, um, you know, not through the canonical Gospels uh, within the um, canon of the Church, but also of the Christian Church, but but through the what's called the Gnostic Gospels or the um, the Gospels that were part of um, some of them discovered in Nag Hammadi and some of them discovered uh, other times and other places, um, you know, and so some of this understanding that we're talking about of her having a, a much bigger role and being seen in a much different light um, and, and, and being so much more than what she was minimized uh, as being. Um, and, and like you said, even you know, uh, falsehoods being spread and, and taught about her you know, comes from some of these um, other Gospels that are out there, including her, her own Gospel that was found in the 1800s, uh, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Um, but in addition to the, the, the Gospels and the other Gospels that uh, are, are part of the um, kind of the – for me, it's the whole picture of Christianity. If you want the whole picture of Christianity, you right. have to not just look at the canonical Gospels. You have to look at all of the Gospels that we now know of and that have been found um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and go deeper into what is some of Mary Magdalene's history. Um, well, we, we, we know – that um, the reason, one of the reasons why uh, the, the church recanted uh, in, is because there was just too many people that were starting to talk about, you know, all of these other, you know, stories about her and, uh, you know, legends about her and, uh, you know, some of her history. And it was just time for um, those lies to be, uh, you know, those those exaggerations and sometimes even outright lies to be undone and to just, you know, recognize her at least first and foremost as a saint, but then also
also recognize her as an apostle to the apostles, which is still what the kind of the the, the modern day you know formal uh, church now recognizes her as being. But when you look into again the mystical, right? Because the mystical sects and the mystical traditions have always been the the groups that have um, kept these uh, kept the, the divine feminine alive and also uh, kept that energy moving and kept that uh, presence being uh, an active dynamic presence in the world um, the 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 mystical uh, teachings especially within mystical France right so if you hear some strange noise behind me it's because it's thundering there's a, a storm that's actually beginning so um, yeah, so in mystical France, it, what what happened was Mary Magdalene uh, left. Um, she was actually exiled, and um, she was exiled and several other with other several other members of her family, and she traveled um, by boat. And again, the stories say it was a boat with no oars um, to the, the region that was uh, called Southern Gaul at the time, and that we in our modern day would recognize that as Southern France uh, landing in. In the area of southern France that we now would identify as the Provence region, and um, that she traveled all throughout uh, Provence and the Languedoc region um, before she spent the rest of her life, uh, the end of her life, um, in uh, the cave of Saint Baume. But uh, prior to that uh, time where she spent the rest of her life in the cave of Saint Baume, there's much history that's recorded throughout southern France of her traveling and of her teaching and of her spreading the way of love. And um, there's a there's a profound connection with her, and like we're saying, is a whole aspect of Christianity, a whole almost like a another sect of Christianity that evolved through her teachings that in, includes the divine feminine, the sacred feminine, even more, and includes her at the very least as a, like a representative of the sacred feminine. Um, and sometimes some of those understandings is that she's actually an incarnation. Or or, or, or an, an avatar of the sacred feminine. So um, that, that, that's very um, powerful, uh, the stories that uh, exist and the whole history that exists. And of course, we're going to be exploring some of that history more in depth and more in detail in our upcoming Mystical France uh, retreats, especially the one that we're doing in the South, uh, which I'm going to talk about here very soon. But a uh, few things that I just wanted to um, mention is that then, because I talked about artwork earlier, um, when it comes to uh, artwork connecting Mary Magdalene to the sacred feminine and to the great goddess, uh, there's no greater artwork connection um, than the, um, the tradition of the Black Madonnas. Uh, and you'll find that um, throughout Europe there are black Madonnas and there have been black Madonnas, but the largest concentration of those black Madonnas are within um, France and have been within France. And um, I, I forget, there was some, do you remember the number, Philip, at one time we came across the number and we were just uh, blown many, away by how many the black Madonnas were, were throughout in France? France? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think there's around 500 in Europe, and I know most of them are in France, so several hundred at least. 
Okay, here I just found the slide that includes it actually. It says even today, so today there are more than 500 known black Madonna statues and paintings uh, throughout the world, and the majority of these are in France, is the, yeah. what the, the, the slide of which I um, just came across. So that's. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to get off the line now. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. just, I'm getting a lot of rain here, and I think it's going to kind of drown out the recording and so forth. So, oh, I don't okay, even hear I mean, it. I don't even hear it. Um, you know, if yeah. you want to stay on for a few minutes, okay. But if you need to get going, I know you're you're in the middle of yeah. your day, and um, you know. Is there anything else you, you wanted wanted me to talk about, or that? Oh, uh, is there anything it, you want to say about the Black Madonna before we have to go? Well. Um, I think the Black Madonnas, there's two different things. I think a lot of them were there already in France, like the one that was discovered in the cave 23,000 B.C. And just like everything else, sometimes things get rediscovered. You know, it's like the treasure you were looking for all over the world, and you come back and find it in your backyard. So there were Black Madonnas in France dating back to, you know, the, the Earth Goddess times. And when the Crusaders went into... Uh, other countries and into Islamic countries and really just started to get out of that that area of Europe, they came across these traditions again, and especially people like the Knights Templar, they brought Black Madonnas back from these other lands and kind of made that reconnection and reestablished that tradition of the sacred feminine. So that's kind of the way right, it works. The nice, yeah. I, was, I didn't want to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. That's all I was going to say is that they had been there for literally millennia, uh, and but it, the, the, the tradition had been lost over time. And when people started to go out from Europe, even for crusades of all things, uh, they came across these traditions in other lands, and um, black Madonnas were brought back. And, of course, uh, people did connect black Madonnas to Mary Magdalene, and also the Knights Templars uh, connected the yeah. Black Madonna to Mary Magdalene directly. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And then there was the connection to the Merovingian kings, which I think you're probably going to talk about a little bit. Um, yeah, the Merovingian kings identified um, the Black Madonna as Mary Magdalene. I mean, they just, not only did they um, claim to be the, the direct descendants of the bloodline of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, the Merovingian kings did, but then the Merovingian kings also identified the, the Black Madonna and the statue of the Black Madonna as Mary Magdalene. And so the Madonna right. and child being Mary Magdalene and then the child of, Magda, of the Magdalene and, and of Yeshua. Um, so there's a, a, a long history of that you know, from the Merovingian side of things, too. Yeah. Okay, well, if you need to go, Philip, I'm going to wrap up here. I'm going to start okay. talking about the retreat and do a wrap-up, too. So, uh, okay, well, so thank yeah. you so much for joining us, and I'll be yeah. uh, just wrapping up real quickly with everybody. So, well, um, I'll, just say aloha. I'll just say aloha to everybody, and as you can see, this is a topic that's really important to us. We're very interested in it. It's not just like a something where you just, hey, isn't this an interesting fantasy? For us, it's something that we're really trying to get to the heart of in a substantive way because we think it has importance for us as people, as individuals on our spiritual path, and we think it's important for the world we live in. So, um, you know, thank you guys for, for listening in, and, and we hope that uh, what you 
participate with us in various things uh, now or in the future that you'll take this to heart and uh, can help you in your spiritual journey. Okay, aloha. Okay, and I'm going to wrap up here, so um, right. don't sign off, everybody. Just Philip, to, Philip signing off only. Okay, so... Um, just uh, to, to, to start to close here, um, as Philip was saying, the um, tradition of the Black Madonnas, uh, it, it really thrived, um, especially throughout Europe and, in, and especially in southern France where Mary Magdalene's uh, teaching thrived. And um, y- there's so much actually that we could go into and we could talk about with Mary Magdalene. That's why we're doing multiple teleconferences on her. And each teleconference that we're doing with her uh, in the title of the conference is actually we're trying to talk about different things each time. So um, if you go on to our mysticalfrance.com and you listen to the uh, you go to the teleconferences page where you register for this teleconference you'll see that there are recordings that are already up there and there's one recording already that I mentioned earlier that's called the Magdalene, the Grail and You that tells some of the other history of Mary Magdalene that we're not getting into in today's teleconference because we don't want to do a lot of repeats here and repeat ourselves we want to make try to make each one of these unique um, and then uh, there's also a lot more that we're going to be sharing about her and our upcoming one that will be on July the 22nd, um, which is the the feast day, the celebration day of Mary Magdalene, uh, the worldwide celebration feast day of Mary Magdalene. Um, uh, And that particular one is going to be called Mary Magdalene, She Who Knew All. And I'll be um, talking more about um, her vision, uh, the the, the vision that she had uh, at the time of the resurrection and what, what kind of makes her unique and and knowing things that even the, some of the other disciples didn't know, and some of the just you know unique special uh, insights uh, about her. Um, so again, I don't want to. I literally could spend uh, a whole lot more time talking about Mary Magdalene. I wanted to kind of just wrap this around and bring it to her because of where I was talking about, about her being one of the presences of the sacred feminine, um, again, either in uh, either an archetype principle or presence. Like she could be even her, her very presence could be an, an incarnation, an aspect of the divine feminine within Christianity, and at the very least, um, a representation presentation of uh, the archetypal presence of the divine feminine within Christianity. So um, Mary Magdalene and her history uh, is very rich, and um, if, if this intrigues you, I, su- I suggest learning more uh, about the Black Madonnas. Now, of course, there's a lot of uh, mystery and intrigue, and some of that mystery has uh, been intentional, um, and you know, some of that intrigue and, and some of the misleading information that's been out there about her has been intentional and intentional from both sides the sides that has been trying to protect the knowledge and protect the wisdom and protect uh, you know all of the things that um, you know are the teachings and things that have been spread and that have been tried to be kept alive in times when it was uh, absolutely being uh, squelched and um, and then also uh, deliberate attempts to kind of uh, keep that mystery hidden and keep things secret and and even 
kind of manipulate the truth and things from the other side that was trying to eliminate and destroy these things and and make sure that they 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 weren't a part of our uh, of of the future and and they, they were they weren't you know a, a part of anything anymore. Um, so there's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, one of the things that I like to tell people is that in this return of the sacred feminine, um, we we have to take the goddess. In all of her forms, we have to take Mary Magdalene and everything that we know about her and just stay very, very open in our hearts. We have to use the feminine approach here. We need to use the yin energy and use the feminine approach here. Um, we have to open, um, you know, and be the open, receptive vessels in order to um, be open, to receive uh, all that we can um, learn, all that we can receive. Uh, once again about the great goddess, about the divine feminine and about Mary Magdalene and their interconnection and also to receive just that that, that presence back in our life again. I said that I was going to kind of get around to talking a little bit more about presence and that's how I'll wrap up. The presence of the divine feminine regardless of what name we use to call her, whether we call her uh, Isis, Astarte, Diana, Hecate, Radha, Shakti, Shiva, Sophia, Shekinah, Maria, uh, Maria Magdalena, whether we call her any of these names, the presence of the divine feminine um, can and does uh, radiate out and radiate within and reaching out to us right now to heal our sacred wound and all we have to do is just receive you know that 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 I believe that presence is already within us I believe that presence is all around us and that that presence um, known by all of these names and known by all of these forms uh, it can be the very thing that can touch our hearts and touch that that our, our souls and touch our spirits and restore and renew us from within and that can touch the land and touch our relationships with each other and restore and renew but we have to receive and we have to get into that place where we just can receive that presence and receive that divine feminine grace and that divine feminine mercy and those divine feminine blessings um, so just be in that receptive state and that means kind of not getting too much into our heads about all of this stuff and really trying to live more from our hearts I mean the, the the path of the sacred feminine to me is very much a, a path of the heart. Um, the Holy Spirit is believed to uh, live within the heart, to reside within the heart, to speak to us from within the heart, and to guide us uh, from within the heart. And so when we get into our hearts, uh, we need to... Um, you know, just remain open to have more and more of this revealed. We, we don't say that we know everything that there is to know, and nor do I think that anyone does. Uh, you know, I, I think those who are trying to still put Mary Magdalene in a box and say, we know everything she is, and this is what she is, and this is the only thing that she is, are actually doing a disservice to this. That's, um, that's kind of a, a yang approach to this instead of a yin approach to this great mystery, and we need to have a, the yin approach is to be open to have even more revealed. You know, there's there's so much uh, that we don't know, and there's so much that only divine grace and that she alone uh, can reveal to us. Uh, in fact, there's a quote from the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, in which I have up 
on the itinerary page of our Mystical France um, South uh, web, um, on the Mystical France website, uh, you can go onto the Mystical France website and you can click on to uh, different itineraries actually. And those itinerary, the one itinerary that I'm referring to uh, that has the quote on it, it has two quotes actually from the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, is the itinerary for Southern France. And I'm going to click on it right now so that I can make sure that I get the quote exactly right in how I say it. Um, and the quote is, word for word verbatim, um, what is hidden from you, I will reveal to you. This is the quote from the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. I have two quotes up there. Uh, what is hidden from you, I will reveal to you. So again, being open to receive um, all the things that are the mysteries here uh, and for as we're experiencing this turning point where the divine and the sacred feminine can return through us, we just need to allow that which is hidden to be revealed to us and through us. Um, and then the other quote that's up here on the website is, this is why I tell you, be in harmony. If you are out of balance, take inspiration from manifestations of your true nature. So that's another quote from the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Let me read that again. This is what I tell you. Be in harmony. If you are out of balance, take inspiration from manifestations of your true nature. And what is our true nature? Our true nature is both masculine and feminine. Whether we're in a male body or whether we're in a female body, our true nature is masculine and feminine. And if we're out of balance, we need to look at the manifestations of our true nature. Are we manifesting more through our feminine? Are we manifesting more through our masculine? And take inspiration uh, and, and, and use inspiration to bring them uh, into harmony uh, with one another. And in doing so, we balance the divine masculine and feminine in us by balancing the masculine and feminine within and uh, that will also resonate out to the world. So those two quotes are on our mystical friend dot com um, retreat one south itinerary um, we're actually hosting so I'm going to talk about the retreat now um, we're hosting three retreats <laughs> yes I divided them up this year uh, we went in 2012 and uh, we did one long retreat and one short retreat and we decided that we were just going to orient it differently this time and make it a little bit um, more available for people and do uh, two one week long retreats and then a extended weekend uh, and people can sign up for either the one week in the south or the one week in the north um, and then the extended weekend that is also an option that we call retreat three uh, is a extended weekend of four days and three nights in Paris uh, which will be going to uh, Chartres actually Chartres Cathedral is not exactly in Paris but will be staying in Paris and on uh, one of the days of that extended weekend of retreat three uh, we'll be going to Chartres Cathedral and seeing the Black Madonnas there, actually. Um, some of the uh, really famous Black Madonnas um, are in Chartres Cathedral. Of course, Chartres Cathedral being one of the most famous go Gothic cathedrals in the world.
world uh, where the Chartres Labyrinth, the 11th Circuit Labyrinth, also is, is that cathedral. And uh, there's a, the Black Madonna that is on the main level, and then there's the Black Madonna of the Crypt. Uh, and both of them are very powerful, um, and they're both associated uh, with, with Mary Magdalene in the mystical traditions of France. Um, and, the, of course, the, um, the church considers them Mother Mary, but the, there's, there's different views about it. So some see it as Mother Mary, and some see them as, again, uh, Mary Magdalene. Um, and when we were there, and we were in uh, the Chartres Cathedral in the crypt area, uh, the, the person who was giving the tour, because we'll be touring the crypt, um, the person who was giving the tour was even noting how unusual the Black Madonna of the Crypt of Chartres Cathedral was and um, that she had uh, a lot of features uh, as far as the artwork is concerned of Isis and Osiris. In fact, the, 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 the Isis and Osiris statues of the goddess Isis from, um, from ancient Egypt and her son, um, you know, the, 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 the son of Isis, uh, which is... Um, I'm sorry, not Isis and Osiris, Isis and Horus. Her son was Horus. Uh, this appears, the, these, these old statues of Isis and Horus appear very much like the original Madonna and Child. Um, the original statues of Isis and Horus look very, very much like uh, early, early renditions of Madonna and Child. And this particular statue in Chartres Cathedral uh, is like that. Um, in fact, they even mention that themselves in the... Uh, the, the, the Catholic tour that uh, with the tour guide who is there representing the church that gives. Of course, we give our own, and all of our retreats are non-sectarian. Um, while these places are operated by the Catholic Church, that a lot of places that we're going to be visiting to this day, um, the retreats that we lead are interfaith and ecumenical, non-denominational, non-sectarian, all of those things, um, and we just go uh, and, and, and engage these sacred mysteries and explore these sacred mysteries uh, together. So uh, the, the trip to Chartres Cathedral will be as a part of Retreat 3 to see the Black Madonnas there, also to see the famous uh, labyrinth there, and um, to just see all the amazing things about that church actually talked about the connection to uh, the ancient goddess the uh, Notre Dame of Chartres which is what it, uh, it is and Notre Dame means Our Lady Notre Dame of Chartres um, and there's a Notre Dame of Paris uh, that will also be a part of that retreat three so we'll be going to Notre Dame of Paris um, but Notre Dame or Our Lady of Chartres is built on um, it's actually built on an ancient Celtic site to the great god uh, and there is a well that is there, a very old well. And it's still there. In fact, they have uh, this beautiful lantern that hangs over it, and they have it walled in in such a way that kind of protects it. And it's really in the, the center or the heart of uh, the crypt, which is such a powerful, powerful place. I mean, just some of the most amazing mystical experiences that I had while I was in France during our last retreat there in 2012 uh, was in this crypt area of Chartres Cathedral. And this, this, the energy from this well, this spring, uh, that still exists to this day and has been there for uh, a very long time since since the ancient Celts. Um, the ancient Celts believed that this was a sacred spring of the goddess and uh, it's in the heart of this cathedral, of this Notre Dame, this cathedral of Our Lady that houses these two black Madonnas. 
Um, so that's going to be in Retreat 3. Um, but uh, and, and, of course, there's all kinds of things in Chartres Cathedral that uh, is connected to Mary Magdalene as well. In fact, one of the reasons why we've included that in Retreat 3, which, again, is a um, – that's just a it's, – it's short. It's a short, inexpensive. Um, in fact, uh, the the three nights and four days is only $795 for the, the, the early bird registration price. Um, and we're going to be um, down in Chartres all day long, uh, exploring on that Saturday. It's going to be Notre Dame of Paris um, on uh, the Friday but before that, and then Chartres Cathedral, and then Sacre Coeur. Uh, that particular journey is called Journey into the Sacred Heart, and that day we go to Chartres Cathedral. We talk about how the, the Sacred Heart is um, home of the Divine Feminine through being the home of the Holy Spirit, and again, we explore this, this place uh, associated with the Divine Feminine uh, on that particular day of that journey, which is day two of that um, retreat, uh, that, that extended weekend uh, retreat in Paris. But most of what is going to be um, involving the Black Madonnas, uh, the large concentration of um, our teachings around the Sacred Feminine, the Return to the Goddess, the Holy Grail, um, Mary Magdalene are all going to be uh, heavily concentrated in our retreat one. Um, so even though we'll be uh, exploring some of those things in the extension, the extended weekend in Paris, uh, the retreat one, which is um, the the first one that we're going to do September the 18th through September the 25th, uh, is going to be in southern France. We're going to be in the Languedoc region of southern France, and we're going to be visiting some sacred sites that are associated with Mary Magdalene and also some sacred sites that are associated with uh, basically the, the lineage, the tradition that um, continued and emerged from her uh, and that are legendary places associated with the Holy Grail. And again, in that Holy Grail teleconference that we lead, um, there's a lot of connections that we explain about the connection between the Divine Feminine, Mary Magdalene, and the Grail. So these are places that are very um, sacred to Mary Magdalene, to the Grail. And there will be some Black Madonnas that we will also um, be seeing there. We'll be um, definitely seeing the, the Black Madonna of Lemu um, will be a part of that journey. And several sacred springs um, that are associated with being ancient sites to the Divine Feminine. In fact, um, there's a cave in which Mary Magdalene is thought and legend t tells that she taught in that we're going to be going to um, in the very beginning of that itinerary. And um, there's a spring there that is a very, very old cave. And that spring was thought, uh, again, by the ancient Celtic people that was in that region to be sacred to the, 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 the great goddess. And um, this spring still exists there to this day. In fact, that one is accessible. Uh, we actually have access uh, to that as well. And so that's a cave that um, Mary Magdalene is alluded to have taught in. And um, that sacred spring associated with the great goddess. And so in addition to seeing the Black Madonna of Lemu, which is very interesting stories about that, uh, we're also going to be going to 
um, something called the Seat of Isis. Uh, and the Seat of Isis is, if you've ever heard of the Oracle of Delphi, I liken it to that. I mean, personally, for me personally, um, I felt like it was a place like that, that um, the the Oracle of Delphi was a uh, special seat that was uh, the, the Oracle would sit on. And when the Oracle was sitting on that seat uh, is when all kinds of um, prophecies and visions and messages would, would, would come through the Oracle. Uh, well, this uh, is a stone. It's an ancient stone, um, so old that nobody knows exactly how far it dates back. And carved into it is a seed, and it sits right next to another ancient well. Um, so there's many wells and many springs that are associated with uh, the healing power of the Divine Feminine, the healing power of the Great Goddess uh, that we're going to be visiting in, as a part of this Southern France tour and retreat. Um, and um, it's a real pilgrimage to these places. This spring, uh, it, it's been flowing for for you know hundreds, if not thousands, of years. People, again, people, it's so old. People don't even know how far back it goes, uh, and uh, they don't even know all of the history associated with it. It's that old, um, and it, it is another one of the places where I had profound mystical experiences when I sat next to that spring. Um, it just felt like it was just opening me up, and uh, like. Everything was the water that was flowing from it was like like flowing through me and flowing through my heart and flowing you know tears flow, began flowing through my eyes and of course I got a very profound mystical message when I sat on that seat. In fact, I talk about that um, in the. Um, uh, I keep referring to the recording that's already up on the website, the recording that's called The Magdalene, The Grail, and You. Uh, I go a little bit more into detail as to what that message was uh, pertaining to the Holy Grail when I sat on the seat of Isis, which is that oracle seat. So um, that's one of the places that we're going to be stopping on on the retreat. And I want to make an announcement. Um, I'm not going to talk about our northern retreat because it's, uh, it, we're running out of time here and I'm already kind of over the schedule that we had hoped for. Um, but the whole itinerary for all of these is up on the website, Retreat 1, which is in the south, seven, uh, eight days and seven nights. Um, and then Retreat 2, which is in the north and is also includes a trip to Normandy. It's a soul journey to Mont Saint-Michel. And then Retreat 3, which is the journey into the Sacred Heart, which is the extended weekend in Paris that I was talking about and describing that would include the Chartres Cathedral um, journey as a part of that. So all three of them are up on the website. And the special announcement that I have to make tonight is that we're going to be extending the um, the early bird discount, the early bird special price. Uh, we really worked very uh, hard and diligently this year to uh, get the prices absolutely low as we possibly could so as more and more people could uh, participate in join us. And the early bird price is uh, $29.95 for the southern retreat and $29.95 for the northern retreat and $7.95 for the, um, the extended weekend, which includes the Chartres uh, journey. Uh, so those prices are uh, supposed to be expiring tomorrow uh, and kicking into the regular prices because we're going to be accepting registrations all the way through the end of July and into the beginning of August. Uh, but there's three tiers. There's the early bird registration, there's the regular registration 
And then there's the late registration. Uh, so the early bird registration discount was supposed to be uh, expiring tomorrow on the 12th. So we're going to extend that for another month because we've had, uh, had a few people asking us for extensions. And um, so we're going to extend the, uh, the early bird registration for um, another month uh, all the way up until July the 12th, actually. And then from July the 12th up until um, around August the 10th, somewhere in that time period, August 10th through the 12th, uh, will be the regular price, which is $32.95 for the north and $32.95 for the south and $8.95 for the extended weekend. Um, and then after that, we'll, we'll be taking the late registrations, but it, it is for a higher price. Um, so uh, know that that's been extended, and if you're interested um, you know, and you have any questions, I'm not really going to take any questions because of running over the time today. I'm not really going to take any questions right now um, as a part of this call. But if you are interested, you can uh, call me at 808 775 um, And again, this is Reverend Anna Jones, and we're operating Questing Spirit uh, Retreats, and Questing Spirit LLC is our company, and that's 808-775-9911. You can go to mysticalfrance.com, or you can find my website, and you can contact us there through the website. All the itineraries are up there. All the registration uh, information is up there, and we would love, love, love to have you join us. Um, and so in closing, I'm going to close with a very short, um, finished talking about the retreat now, and I promised that I would do a meditation. So I'm going to close with a, a very short little meditation, getting back to focusing us once again on the, 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 the presence of the sacred feminine. So if you'd like to join us in this meditation, please make yourself comfortable at this time. So you can sit back and make yourself comfortable, have a nice straight spine and close your eyes and begin to just take a couple of long, slow, deep breaths in order to center yourself in the present moment. Release and relax through each breath that you're taking. And I'm going to do a chant, a chant that has four names, Shakti, Shekinah, Sophia, and Maria. So Shakti from the Hindu tradition, Shekinah from Islam, Sophia from Judaism, and Maria from Christianity. And you can just meditate to this if you'd like while I do this chant, or you can join along with me silently or out loud. Everybody is still muted. Just staying in the meditative state, connecting with the presence of the divine through these sacred names, the divine feminine through these sacred names. Shakti Shakina, Sophia Maria. Shakti Shakina, Sophia Maria. Shakina Sophia Maria Shakti 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 Shakina Sophia Maria
And through the vibration of these sacred names of the Divine Feminine, connect with her presence that is within you and that is all around you. Feel the loving presence of the Divine Mother, of the Divine Feminine. Feel her light radiating from within and all around. Feel her love radiating from within and all around you. Feel her peace radiating from within and all around you. And feel her embrace. Embracing you in every way. Healing you through this embrace. Returning and restoring wholeness within you, which is your nature. Returning to harmony, your inner masculine and feminine nature, in balance, in harmony, and in wholeness. And take a moment to end the meditation with silent prayer in whatever way feels right to you, just offering your gratitude, offering your love to the Great Mother, to the Divine Feminine. Thanking the Great Mother. for the blessing of life and for all the blessings in your life. And let that gratitude fill you. If you're ready, you can slowly bring yourself up out of the meditation and finish the prayer and bring yourself out of the meditation. And slowly allow yourself to shift and move however feels right.
And that completes the meditation, and that completes today's teleconference. I want to thank you, everybody. Have a good evening.